You want to know something wild? Oh, God. Where's this going? Probably not on the podcast, but... Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, a movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster from San Diego. You are Cassidy Robinson. You are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And on today's episode, we are going to be reviewing the movie You People, which was released on Netflix. For the streaming homework, the older streaming homework, we'll be talking about the 1981 slasher, My Bloody Valentine, which is streaming on HBO Max. But before we get into those, I had to set up a game. We often talk about, we'd love to see this actor with that actor. We'd love to see, or or maybe occasionally when... You see a pairing that works really well, and you kind of make note of it in your head. And so I created a game called Couples Goals. And in this, uh, we will give three suggestions each for actors we haven't seen together that would make a great couple and perhaps some sort of plot details of why they're coming together. Sure. Okay. Do you want me to go first or you? Um, why don't you go first? I want to see what you got. I always go first in these games. Okay. Okay. So I was kind of thinking of uh, the type of actors, you know, for the most part, my choices here were untraditional couples that we don't see in film, let alone in you know, with each other. Sure. I and, hope that ev- that Billy Eichner is at least in one of these. Uh, he sure isn't. <laughs> um, and here's the thing. So you're making that joke because I was not a big fan of the movie Bros. No, you were not. And I, I'm a little sad we didn't do an episode about it because uh, maybe one of these times we need to schedule some time to talk about it because uh, I am very curious as to... What rubbed your rhubarb so raw? <laughs> I mean, just everything, really. But uh, no, but so, you know, I, I do, I do have one gay couple um, on here for my on my list. But I, you know, I wanted to have kind of untraditional romances. My first one is uh, I would love to see a romantic comedy, uh, maybe a dramedy. Between uh, Beanie Feldstein, sister to Jonah Hill, who we'll be talking about later in our official review of You People, with the comedian uh, Stavros Halkius. Are you familiar with uh, Stavi? Uh, You've mentioned him to me before. You and uh, our friend Richard. I, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know anything about him. He's an East Coast guy, 
He uh, comes from Baltimore. He was on the Come Town podcast for a number of years before exiting the podcast. I'm not sure if the podcast is even still going on. I think a lot of those guys disbanded it. But, you, you know, he's a stand-up comedian. He's done a little bit of acting. I haven't seen any of his acting, so I can't really speak to his abilities as an actor. I would assume he's good because I enjoy him as a comedian. Um, but, you know, he uh, he's this uh, bigger Greek guy who uh, has kind of a blue, filthy sort of comedic style. But very natural, and as dirty as he gets, he's also very self-deprecating. Okay. And he dips a little bit into uh, social critiques and political critiques without, like, becoming a quote-unquote political comic. But, you know, more so just from, like, the second-generation immigrant point of view. But... I think he's really funny, and I think that he, I've I've enjoyed his uh, his podcasts and his podcast appearances on other shows uh, that you can watch on YouTube. He has a stand-up special on on YouTube as well that I uh, highly recommend. What I like about both of these actors is I think they both have a similar comedic style in the sense that I. I would assume that in a movie together, they would have a lot of on-screen chemistry. They'd really be able to have a lot of improvisational skills and really be able to naturalize a on-screen chemistry. And uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know anything about him, so it's a little hard for me to say. Um, well, you I mean, could do a... You could do a quick Google search, but you might see some pretty wacky photos because he, he did a lot. Yeah, of, I mean, uh, I, I <laughs> did a quick, uh, but, you know, like that doesn't really give you a sense of voice or rhythm or anything. Um, but I do like Beanie Feldstein a lot. Yeah. So, you know, the basic premise of this being you, you don't see a lot of larger, if, if I'm allowed to use that word, uh romantic couples in movies or sure. TV yeah. or in existence on celluloid, especially in a romantic sense, unless it's like somebody's grandmother or something. Yeah. Uh, or played off for a joke or right. You know, yeah. Like that becomes like the whole premise of it all. Like remember shallow how that was a movie that existed. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's not as bad as the premise makes it out to be, only because the actors really kind of save it. But, but yeah, I, I, you know, the reality of it is that more people in America look like that than don't. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this might have to. This would probably be something more like a, a streamer. Or something like that. I mean, romantic comedies um, with conventionally attractive people don't even make it to the big screen anymore. So, and I wouldn't want like the the premise to be all about their bodies and you know objectifying yeah, yeah. them I, or I anything don't even like think that. That necessarily has to be a thing. Yeah, like yeah, like you said, like yeah, yeah. I just think I, I think that they are both funny 
they could be playing stand-up comedians. It's very common for uh, comedians to tour together, to hang out with other comedians, something like that. Uh, they'd be able to more or less be themselves in the in the roles and then just let it play out. You know, just give them enough room to create on-screen chemistry and, and have fun with the characters. Yeah, so you you don't have like a high high concept. It's just kind of hoping that they have chemistry together on film. Yeah, no, it's nothing it's nothing too wild. My other my others are a little bit more high concept. Um, but this is more just like, oh, you know, if I if I wanted to make a a funny romantic comedy that leans a little bit more on comedy than romance and I could pick any actors to do that and just reflect the world as it actually is. Uh, that's who I would. Uh... Sure. Yeah. So that is my first pitch. All right. I like it. Um, again, I, I don't really know him, but uh, I, you, you got me. I'm sold. All right. What is your first coupling? So my first is... I was sure that these two must have been in a movie together at some point, but I couldn't find one. So uh, if you are aware of one, please let me know. Uh, but my first one was Andy Samberg and Jenny Slate. I mean, yeah, that first feels of all, like I, that should have happened. Right? I don't know if they've ever been a couple in a movie together, but they must have crossed paths at some point. Because they both, she had, they were both on from SNL. From what I can tell, she has done stuff in like Lonely Island videos, right. or, or the most I could find was that she was in that fake HBO mockumentary thing that he did where with the baseball players. Um, but I don't know if they were a couple, and I don't think that was really. A movie, I think it was just like an hour long special kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but how have these two not, how have they not been in a romantic comedy together? Like it just feels like a no brainer to me. They, they seem like they would have crazy chemistry to me because they have, you know, this kind of similar sense of, of, you know, sort of goofball humor, arrested development, sort of adult child kind of thing going on. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I think they would look good together. I mean, they look similar, but not similar enough to where it would be weird. Or that could be the, the plot. Maybe they're a couple and then they take a genealogy test and they're worried they're related. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I just think it, it, you know, they are both, if they had gotten famous 20 years ago, of course they would have been in a romantic comedy together. Like sure. that just would have had to have happened. But uh, it's, you know, probably because this generation is maybe a little more open to different types of comedy um, that they maybe haven't been pigeonholed into that yet. But, um, but yeah, I think they... They should make that happen. Jenny Slate was in, I can't remember the name of the movie uh, that we watched last year with Charlie Cox. I Want You Back? Um, yeah, I Want You Back. Uh, you know, she was a great romantic comedy lead in that. Annie Samberg was in Palm Springs, which was a lot of fun. 
Both of them are kind of modern takes on the romantic comedy thing. Uh, yeah, so I think, you know, you could throw them into something a little more high-premised, and they're skilled enough at being relatable that they could, you know, sort of keep it from going too crazy. Or it could just be totally crazy if we wanted. That could be fun, too. Okay, yeah. She was also in the uh, that movie Obvious Child. Did you ever see that? I did. Uh, that was more of a, a romantic dramedy. For sure. Um, but it yeah. was really good. Yeah, that was really good. And I, I really liked her romantic lead in that as well. And it was just a good mm-hmm. movie in general. People should go back and watch that if they haven't before. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you're being pre-primed because they were both in the SNL Lauren Michaels world. Yeah, like I said, I'm sure on some show or some digital short or something, they've crossed paths. That I guarantee they know each other. Um, yeah, I know that. I, I think they've both done voices for Bob's Burgers and, and like, cartoon work and stuff together. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I am certain they must have, yeah, some connection. Uh, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Um, okay. My second one is one I've wanted to see for a long time. Well, the coupling itself, I kind of had to think up. But the the concept is something I've wanted to see for a long time. And that is a Johnny Quest movie, live-action Johnny Quest movie, where Race Bannon and Dr. Quest are a gay couple and it's not a thing. Like, it's still a Johnny Quest movie, primarily, but they just happen to be a couple, and it's not ever addressed in some sort of, like, jokey way or some sort of um, double entendre or anything. It just is what it is. Have you seen, have you watched Our Flag Means Death yet? No. You are the most frustrating person in the world. You know... Obviously, in my my headcanon, George Clooney was always going to be Race Bannon. Oh, okay, yeah, that's pretty solid. Because, I mean, he's, he's bordering the age out he's, of that, yeah, he's, but... bo- he's bordering on too old for it, but you know, he's still right there. Sure, but yeah. It was always casting the counter, the counterpoint, the Doctor Quest, that was hard. Okay, there are not a lot of red-haired actors of a certain age. Um, who could believably have teenage children. Well, I, I have somebody now. Well, I um, was just thinking that um, uh, Daniel Craig could also be a really good race Bannon. Nah, he's a little too... He's a little too English. He's a little too Daniel Craigy. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> so who's your, who's your Doctor Quest? So I haven't watched it yet, but I've seen the stills... And I'm going to be casting uh, Murray Bartlett from, who was recently featured in an episode of The Last of Us. And he's also on The White Lotus, I believe. Oh my god. So, have you, you haven't been watching The Last of Us yet, have you? Not yet, no. I'm sure you heard about the third episode of The Last of Us. Yes, I mean, that was, the Twitter was buzzing about it. And actually now... I, n- I know that, like, it's not something you can really, like, count on for the whole of the show, but based upon the information 
you know, given in that episode, I'm way more interested in watching it now than I was before. But uh, for this specific Johnny Quest movie, I've been a fan of Murray Bartlett for a long time. Pre was- all of this stuff. He was a, he was in the television show Looking. Oh, okay. As the uh, their slightly older mustachioed restaurant owner friend. And before that, gay-themed movies. Um, so I've known of him for a while. And I wouldn't have even thought of it at that time, but the, the pictures I've seen from his most recent appearance in The Last of Us with the beard, now he is much closer to a believable Dr. Quest. And, not for nothing, we should at least, I think, have one confirmed gay actor play in the role. And I'm using confirmed with a lot of emphasis. So yeah, that's my, that's, I'm, I'm wish casting that into the, into the universe. Murray Bartlett and George Clooney as Race Bannon and Dr. Quest. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's a pretty good one. Uh, anyway, you should watch The Last of Us. Uh, I was pretty on the fence until that episode. And uh, you should also watch Our Flag Means Death. Uh, the fact that you haven't watched it yet is bonkers insane to me. All right. What is your next one? Um, so I also uh, went for a gay couple. Um, the, there's a, a little bit of an age discrepancy here. Um, not too much. It's not too crazy, but in my head, I saw this pair as basically like a kind of an odd couple thing where one is, you know, very straight laced and the other is, um, a little more carefree and wild. Uh, so I thought it would be really fun to see, uh, Tig Notaro and Kate McKinnon because A, they're both gay actors. Sure. Uh, B... I think there's something about how deadpan Tignataro is. Um, and, you know, Kate McKinnon can bring a really high energy, fun character that she just hasn't had the opportunity to actually do in a movie yet. I mean, isn't that uh, all she does in movies? Yeah, but not good. Like, they haven't been. I don't know. They just. There's just something off about her movie career so far. And I, I think this would be a, a fun match. Like I said, it would basically be a version of The Odd Couple, but instead of just roommates, they are... Were they gay in The Odd Couple? They weren't, were they? No. <laughs> okay. Are we sure about that? I mean, I'm sure somebody somewhere has wrote that paper, but... No, I mean, not officially. So this would basically be a remake, but instead of it being, you know, two men, it would be a a lesbian couple. You mean to say, then, it is a remake of The Odd Couple? Yes, it is a a literal remake of The Odd Couple, but it is gender-bent and they're fucking. Okay, okay. So it's not just... In the no, style it's not just of... an odd couple formula. Like I mean, right. literally the odd couple. Okay, yeah, Jack Lemon and who played uh, Walter Matthau and uh, Jack Wal- Lemon. Walter Matthau, yeah. right? Yeah, 
And didn't they remake it like not too long ago? Uh, they. Like, I, I want to say the mid two thousands. I want to say is the mid nineties. Um, but it wasn't yeah. with. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Oh, there was a TV show. Yeah, oh, okay. with Thomas Lennon and Matthew Perry in twenty fifteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe in that they were gay. I don't know. I didn't watch it. And it looks like nobody else I didn't did either. either. I'm reading the premise. So apparently it's uh, <laughs> after being kicked out of their houses by their wives, two friends try to share an apartment. But their ideas of housekeeping and lifestyle are as different as night and day. Yeah, I just, you know, the the formula works. You have one grump and you have one free spirit. And right. hilarity ensues. And I think... Uh, you know, like, Tigna Katara was the highlight of Army of the Dead, and I would like to see her be in more stuff. And uh, I I want Kate McKinnon to have, like, an actual good part. Yeah, because that's the issue. It's not that she wasn't, um, you know, playing her type or whatever. So far, it's not been in very good movies. I mean, she was yeah. in she was in that movie Rough Night, which was like one of those like women behaving badly uh, comedies, or they go to Vegas or something. Um, she was in the Ghostbusters remake, which I didn't care for, and she was in that movie Bombshell, which was supposed to be like Adam McKay style recent political history satire. Yeah, but it yeah. kind of went nowhere. Um, yeah. So I just, I think they would be fun to watch together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Okay. So my last one here, we recently watched Glass Onion. Mm-hmm. And not that I haven't known this for a while, but I think it was made uh, very apparent in Glass Onion how much of a glamorous movie star Janelle Monet is. And I would love to see, like, classic-style Hollywood glam couple in a classic-style Hollywood film where they just get to be on screen, incredibly attractive, and have that sort of aspirational movie star quality, right? Sure, yeah. So... I would love to see a remake of the movie Charade, uh, which originally starred Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn in the leads with Janelle Monae and Idris Elba. Ooh, yeah, that's sexy. And that was one I had to Google because they've both been around for a while and um, they've both been in Tyler Perry world, you know, they did their time in Tyler Perry world. <laughs> so <laughs> it is very possible that they, they ended up in one of those movies together. Um, but as far as I could tell, they've never played a couple before. And, uh, you know, I think Aegis Elba, like Cary Grant is very standard masculine Hollywood archetype, but also kind of has a, a bit more like cheekiness and humanity and, 
and and can be funny when he wants to be. Like he can he can in the same movie be the hero or the mystery guy or uh, kind of a goof all at the same time. And I think that Janelle Monet can do that as well. Have you ever seen Charade? No, I haven't. So Charade was like a mystery comedy sort of done in the style of like a 50s Hitchcock kind of thing, but not like the darker Hitchcock, but more like the North by Northwest style Hitchcock. And it was sort of uh, blatantly done in that style, but, you know, they they meet on the road and um, her husband just died. There's money to be found and you're never supposed to completely trust Cary Grant's character, but you're also invested in them as a relationship. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I can see it. It sounds fun. Yeah. And I think it's old enough now that movie that it's not like sacrosanct to remake. I mean, I'm sure somebody somewhere would be mad about that, but I think you could do it again in a way that's really fun and fresh and new and, you know, just don't, don't make it incredibly stupid. Yeah. Um, and just let these actors, I mean, honestly, Ryan Johnson could do that movie. Sure. A number of directors could, but he's already kind of in that ballpark right now anyway, with his Knives Out stuff. So it'd be fun to see him sort of do like a, a globetrotting, sexy, th- comedic thriller with those two. Yeah. I'm all about it. I like it. All right. Did you have one left? Yeah, I have one more. Um, so, I I mean, you know, other than the Andy Samberg, Jenny Slate uh, one, I was also, you know, kind of trying to think of uh, less represented demographics. And so, you know, I went with uh, an older couple. Um, I mean, they're not that old, but... Uh, I want to see Bob Odenkirk and Janine Garofalo in a movie about sketch comedians or comedians that like come together for a tour or a show or something and end up realize like reigniting this old chemistry they had together. Now, I know they dated in real life, so that might be super weird for them. <laughs> I did. Actors. I, I didn't know that, but uh, <laughs> but I don't think they have ever played uh, played that on screen. And you know, Bob Odenkirk has some heat now in his later in his career as an actor. Um, and when was the last time we even saw Janine Garofalo? No, that's uh, what I was going to say. I would just love to see Janine Garofalo in a movie again. Yeah. Like a movie movie. Exactly. And I think from what I can tell from his book, uh, they've known each other forever. And again, I just think it would be a lot of fun to see these, you know, I think their relationship is more friend than anything else. Uh, But it's a fucking movie, you know? Um (laughs) They're actors. That's their job. Um, and I think, 
I think that chemistry would be there, and I think, you know, it would be fun to play, you know, to bl- play that kind of semi-autobiographical thing, um, but in a fictional scenario. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I that complicates the situation a little bit, the fact that they were at one point a couple. They might not want to do that. Was, was she involved in Mr. Yeah. Show at all? Um, I, th- I think she might have written on it or had some like guest appearances but um i want to say there was a lot of collaborations on-screen collaborations between her and david cross in like the mid 90s wasn't there yeah i think so i mean that was when both of them got really big as actors so that crossover would make more sense to me whereas bob odenkirk didn't really get as much of an acting career until later uh breaking bad broke him big um you know other than that it was mostly sketch stuff and you know occasional comedy movies but not a whole lot yeah i i i would be down for that if they're down i'm down i'll put it that way (laughs) like i said it might be complicated but this is a a fantasy draft on a podcast so right yeah i'm I'm calling it All right. Well, there it is. If anybody has any other couples goals they would like to see actors that they want to see hook up. I was also at one point going to add into the prompt that we could put together actors of different generations like, you know, 1930s so-and-so with 1970s so-and-so. But I was like, yeah, that makes it too easy slash also... That's too hard to even kind of comprehend because acting styles have changed so much between the decades. Yeah. Uh, Let's go ahead and move on to the Netflix original film, You People, uh, starring Jonah Hill and Eddie Murphy. And I'll set that up. Also starring uh, Lauren London and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. So this movie, like I said... Uh, stars Jonah Hill. It also is co-written by Jonah Hill with the director Kenya Barris, uh, who I believe is credited as a writer producer on the show Blackish. I have not watched that. Have you? Uh, I haven't. No. Okay. Well, that's where he comes from. This is a romantic comedy of sorts about uh, Jonah Hill's character Ezra who comes from an upper-middle-class Jewish family in uh, West L.A. who have sort of a contentious, prickly relationship as it is. And he is looking for the one. And one day he runs into Amira, played by Lauren London, who he mistakes as being his Uber driver. And after the meet cute, we shift six months later and he is ready to pop the question. They've been dating for a while and he wants to get the father's blessing. Uh, So he meets with Amira's parents, played by Eddie Murphy and Nia Long as Akbar and Fatima and takes them to uh, lunch at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles and asks for their daughter's hand in marriage. 
Um, they are none too approving of this uh, mixed race scenario, but they decide to let it play out. And from there, you kind of get a series of sort of hacky sitcom premises for the rest of the two hours as Akbar uh, does everything in his power to embarrass and uh, dissuade Ezra from marrying his daughter. I think it's and- also worth um, throwing into the synopsis that Ezra, he is the co-host of a a pop culture podcast that predominantly discusses black culture. Yes, he has a he has a black lesbian co-host who he runs the show with. Um and he decides at one point in the movie that he's going to uh leave his cushy finance job to become a full-time podcaster, decide to move in with Amira as the sole breadwinner until they can get on their feet from the podcast, I suppose. Um, And that is one of several plot points that I don't believe for a moment. (laughs) I mean, you know, some, some people do have successful podcasts that they make money off of, right? Like, no, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm aware but uh, <laughs> it, it does happen. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it it's so the way they kind of set up this premise of him being a podcaster is more sort of a framework for these interstitial chorus like moments where him and his co-hosts are allowed to sort of bat around the movie's themes and ideas um, but it, 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 it is, they never really portray Ezra as being a celebrity of any type. So we see no. him out in the city and we see him with his friends and stuff, but it's, he's never like, you know, recognized or behaves in any kind of way that would assume that he is already the co-host of a very successful, financially stable podcast but you know uh face for radio and all of that um so i've already kind of let the cat out of the bag i think on my opinion of this movie but um i just want to get the good out of the way first okay i like the cast Mm -hmm. Uh, i think jonah hill is very funny in this movie um especially the first like third of the movie i had already met my, like, six-laugh quota for a comedy. I like his on-screen chemistry when he's allowed to have it with Lauren London. Um, I like Eddie Murphy in this movie. I've seen a lot of... uh, I've seen a lot of criticism levied at Eddie Murphy that he's not even funny in this movie, and I'm putting that in air quotes, because he's not doing shtick in the same way that everybody else is um he's actually in a, in a way i think he's sort of classing up this joint and i think he's doing a much more fully realized internally logistical character in a way that not necessarily everybody else is doing and 
and in some cases, not everyone needs to do. But he, I, I actually do think he brought the work to this movie, and I believed his character, even if I didn't believe what his character was doing or saying. I, I am going to not disagree with you because I, I agree that Eddie Murphy is is uh, is delivering, you know, as fine of a performance as the the material will allow. Uh, I, I agree with that completely. I think, um, yeah, he, like you said, he's doing the work. I'm going to disagree with the premise that he's not funny. No, I agree. I actually think that he's doing exactly what the movie needs him to do. Or he's, I actually think he's bringing something to the role that's probably not even on the page because, Nobody else is kind of doing what he's doing. And if everybody else was doing what he's doing, we'd maybe end up with something different here. But I think that he um, he made this character more than what it is. And he he does a really good job of feeling off the energy of with between these scenes with him and, and Jonah Hill, who's, you know, Jonah Hill's just doing Jonah Hill. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not a good or bad thing I, in this movie it's it's fine for what the movie's asking him to do but he he knows how to create the comedic tension between the two i actually think julia louise dreyfus is really funny but the writing is so terrible that i have a hard time even getting past that point to really appreciate the performance but i i recognize that she's cast very well and she's again she's trying to make this funny but this movie is just so over the top and so reductive in its, I guess, what we're supposed to believe is deeper conversation about race relations. Well, see, I, and that's that's to me where the, the issue with this movie lies is it on the one hand, it wants to be meet the Fockers. Yeah, and on the other hand, it wants to have a meaningful conversation about race, and I don't, I don't know that those two tones ever mesh in a natural way or in a way that doesn't call way too much attention to the other. I'm also I'm gonna go on record as being like, I'm not a big fan of this style of comedy, the the cringe. Um, we're going to create these scenarios that are just so awkward that, you know, I'm, I'm not into that as a style, but I recognize that it is a style and that is a personal preference that, I mean, that's what they're going for. And as far as that goes, you know, the comedic setups work fine enough, I guess. I, I don't know. I didn't find much of it particularly funny, but again, it's, it's not really my style of I don't know. I just, I'm just not into that particular setup of like, oh, we're just going to create the most awkward situation possible. And that is like the sole source of the comedy. No, I agree with you. I think that, you know, I think a lot of this is, it's unfortunate really, because I feel like you could make this movie, you could you could even try and tackle these topics in a way that was a lot more nuanced in a way that's a lot more subtle and in a way where 
the characters don't have to outright say like the worst things to each other in every scene. Like every scene is just what would be the most awkward way of dealing with this to the point where it, it sells out the, it sells out these actors. And yeah. So like, I don't buy Jonah Hill, not because he's a, he may or may not be successful at his podcast. I don't buy that a, a dude who, who spends, who wants to professionally talk about black culture would be so dumb and insensitive. Like right. I get that meeting your future in-law is stressful and it is stressful when they immediately don't like you because you're not what they pictured for their, you know, for their child. But is he just a total idiot? Like, literally, he, every word out of his mouth is just, like, so awkward. But he's not like that around her. Right. You know? And and at least the parents' characters are consistent. At least, uh, I, I you know, Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character is consistent. Like, she she makes sense that there's these awkward scenarios. But, but to have that many and to be so unaware of it... I, I, yeah, uh, the only one who honestly really made me laugh was David Duchovny. Same here. Uh, David Duchovny he, as the, as Jonah Hill's dad rescues practically every scene he's in by doing. I don't. I don't know if he was aware of what he was doing. Um, oh, I think he was. I th- I think it, it's pretty. Um, I I mean, I, yeah. I don't know it. It seemed very intentional to me. Honestly, it was very, like, he's just sort of this, like, I mean, he's this, you know, well-meaning father who just doesn't get involved in any of the other bullshit. Right. And so every once in a while, he'll chime on in with something that people just kind of write off. And I I wish the rest of the movie had that attitude about everything. Like, right. That's what I mean about about nuance and subtlety. I think you could have a scene, yeah. you could have a dinner scene where the black family meets the white family for the first time and it can be awkward for a number of reasons. That tension is already there. It, the the underlying tension of the scenario is there. Not because inherently everybody in a situation like that would be racist. But because there's this expectation from both parties. So that work is already done. You don't have to do mm-hmm. all of this shtick and all of this like sitcom um, you know, revolving door ridiculousness of, you know, lighting things on fire and, and just saying the absolute most racist thing possible um, on accident and reacting in such a way it's just every scene just ramps up the same idea over and over again it's just beating you over the head all yeah. throughout no, the I... movie and then and then makes these insane insinuations that we're just supposed to believe you know we're supposed to just believe that Jonah Hill is able to smooth talk this random stranger into letting him drive him around we're supposed to just believe that when he goes on his bachelor's party that when his his 
father-in-law who he already has a terrible relationship with that he would go through with going to a strip club. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like, like uh, well, that th- that's sort of what bothers me. An- another thing that bothers me is that setup, that meet cute is is fine, right? Like, oh, I just happened to get in the wrong Uber, and you just happened to look very similar to my Uber driver. Uh, in a way that's not racist, in a way that is genuine and funny. Like, let's play that scene out. Let's see how, like, let's see how this relationship actually developed instead of doing a just a magical time jump to six months later. Right. And it, the stakes don't have to be a wedding either. You know, like, it could just be like, we're meeting our families for the first time and... That's enough. That's enough to be awkward because like the whole resolution and, and you know, the whole third act is basically non-existent mm-hmm. uh, because they just are spending so much time on on these scenes that are just awkward and not enjoyable. There was a, a few moments where it works and where I thought like the movie was going to gain traction. Yeah. Like, there's the sequence where they go to the barbershop, right? Mm-hmm. That was yeah, a, yeah, yeah. That was a funny comedic context where nobody had to say the thing, but we all understood mm-hmm. it. And then later, they go to a basketball game, and Eddie Murphy's expecting Jonah Hill to be terrible so he can make him go viral, and he happens to be really, really good at basketball. And so that whole plan backfires. I wish the movie had the guts to subvert as much as just those two scenes do throughout the whole thing, because we've already seen this movie. We've seen it in Meet the Parents. We've seen it in Meet the Fockers. We've seen it in Guess Who, which was the remake of the Sidney Poitier movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. You know, like, there's there's a moment in the movie, oh yeah, I believe it's it's in that same sequence at the beginning where she she, uh, is going to take him to his destination. She says, this isn't going to be some driving Miss Daisy shit, and I... I said, yes, it is. It's exactly what this is. Like, you're not calling it that. Or I I guess you have enough uh, wherewithal to be able to recognize that this is kind of an awkward uh, move to make. But I just, the movie can never get out of its own way when it comes to these premises. It's setting up these premises and at the same time it's trying to say something meaningful about race and i i think maybe you know kind of pick one or the other like hey not even that like that that's bullshit that they can work together it's just um they can i like i said like there's i think no i i I agree with you like there there are moments there there are good you know there are i i didn't hate this movie i wasn't in like total agony but i wanted it to do like i wanted it to be better i wanted it I lost patience with it pretty quick. I was, you know, initially when they're at the synagogue and and we're meeting the family the first time, there were some funny bits there. And I and I was and or like the early stuff with the podcast or his boss or whatever, there was some I liked some of the line delivery made me laugh. Sure. 
Or the relationship between Jonah Hill and, and the younger sister was funny. You know, and I would have liked to see that play out more. I, I, I think I really, I kind of realized how lazy the movie was going to be when it just fast forwarded six months through the whole relationship. It yada yada their entire relationship. And then the only time we ever see the two together as a couple is when they're they're fighting about each other's families. Yeah, which is unfortunate because I actually think they do have good chemistry together too. Like I think, you know, her and when they are acting like a couple, like they seem they seem pretty natural, you know, and and they they seem pretty real, but the problem is their scenes are usually relegated to like you said these to just the parts where they fight about what the movie's about. Right. It really comes down to this just a terribly written movie. I don't believe, unfortunately, I don't think it really has much to say on these topics. Or at least not not a lot to talk about in a way that feels fresh or organic or um, reflective at all. So overall, what did you think of You People and what would you give it as a grade? Uh, yeah, so I mean, overall, I, I think it just, it just couldn't balance its ambition with its actual comedy. And, uh, I, I, I wasn't a miserable experience, uh, but I don't know. I just, I don't think they really pulled off anything they were trying to achieve. So I'm going to give it a C minus. Yeah, I'm not too much further below you i'm gonna put it at a d plus i hope i don't have much lower grades this year just felt like it was leaning on what i think is going to feel like dated stereotypes not very far from now and trying to build an entire comedic premise on pitting one straw man against the other and creating an argument where there doesn't need to be one, particularly for these characters. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I think, you know, other movies have pulled that off better, you know, like, I don't know. It just, it, it just didn't ever become anything greater than the, the, you know, the sum of its parts. I feel like Kenya Barris in his head, he's he's making Spike Lee's Jungle Fever, but what he's really making is like Tyler Perry's Meet the Parents. Yeah, yeah, or, or maybe somewhere in between. I don't know. All right, let's go ahead then and move on to the last segment, which is our streaming homework. This is the film My Bloody Valentine. From 1981. Yeah, this is the original one, uh, which is currently streaming on HBO Max, right? Is that yes. Where we watched it. I think it's on Prime as well, is what it's showing here. Uh, yeah, so My Bloody Valentine is about this small rural mining town community uh, that 
has not been able to celebrate Valentine's Day for some decades now uh, because the last time they had a Valentine's Day celebration, uh, there was this accident at the the town mine where most of the people work and uh, there was like this explosion and a whole group of miners died except for one guy who was trapped and the rest of the town was at a Valentine's Day dance so he wasn't able to get rescued and when they finally did get out of the mine it drove him insane so uh, every Valentine's since uh, whenever they've celebrated, uh, this minor Harry goes on a bloody killing spree, carving the hearts out of young teenagers and presenting them in Valentine's. Uh, now, some, you know, a few decades later, the town feels safe. Uh, Harry has been locked up in a mental institution for years. They finally feel like they can move on. Uh, and celebrate Valentine's again. So they're throwing this big community dance, which, you know, all of the the young people are very excited for. Uh, But then the killings start happening again. Uh, Yeah. And in the middle of all of that, we have this kind of love triangle between our our three main characters, uh, TJ, Sarah, and Axel. Yes. But... Let's let's not forget Hollis, who I think is the real showstopper in this film. Oh, <laughs> uh, is he the, <laughs> the he's like the goofy one, right? Yeah, goofy guy with the big mustache. Um, he kind of looks like a young John Candy. Oh, he was the 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 like bigger guy. Uh, okay, I was thinking yeah, this with was the glasses. I was thinking this was sweater guy. I mean, they're all in sweaters. <laughs> yes, fair enough. <laughs> Um, I think there's more sweaters in this film than there was in Black Christmas. Yeah, a lot of sweaters, a lot of denim, a lot of leather, uh, you know, very, very cold weather. Again, you know, it's a small rural community, very blue collar. So, yeah, sweaters abound. You had no idea that this was a Canadian film? No, I, I mean, when I just didn't really think about it. Uh, until you mentioned it to me. I don't know. I, it seemed very, I don't know. I just didn't think about it. Like I, it seemed like it could be very, you know, sort of near the border in the, the Northeast. Like, you know, it wouldn't have surprised me if this was like upper state New York or Pennsylvania or something. Yeah, no, I, I could tell pretty immediately. I mean, it is technically the Northeast, like the very Northeast in Nova Scotia. Where the movie was filmed. Um, yeah, I caught the accent early on. And then after that, everything else was screaming Canadian at me. Maybe this might have been like one of the original Canucksploitations. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, I think it's it's funny that you mention how Canadian it is. Because I, like, didn't, I didn't put my finger on it being... Canadian specifically, but I did it 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 did pop out to me just how specific and regional it, this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean there there are a lot of post-Halloween 
holiday-themed slasher movies. But this one really stood out to me because it is so specific. Like, it, it has this kind of sense of identity that a lot of the, you know, I think more generic sort of knockoff movies weren't able to achieve. Like, it, it just feels more, um, you know, a little more real than something like, even you know, a lot of the Friday the 13th, which just kind of feel generic campy after a while. Um, you know what I mean? So I, I do think that even though I didn't notice it was Canadian, I did notice it has this uh, environmental identity. Yeah, and I, th- I think that comes from a few places. One being it's very low budget, small movie. So there's very specific uses of its location where – Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really only a handful of sets here. There's like a uh, a police um, office. There's uh, a bar where everybody hangs out at. There's like a parking lot full of like a garage, basically full of cars and whatnot. And then there's this huge set in the mines. And that's where like the final third of the movie really takes place. Oh, and I was just going to say, they find, uh, you know, plenty of excuses to get as many people down into this mine as possible. Yeah, I mean, essentially, this town's equivalent to Lover's Lane is to go make out in these scary, dirty mines that are leaking gas. (laughs) Yeah, which... At, at, at first, when they like when the first guy's like, "Hey, let's go down in the mine and make out," or or all the women are like super horny for mine, uh, I I thought it was funny at first, but then I was like, you know what? That actually is kind of believable. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's any small town where wherever you can find like privacy and not have to worry about the police or whatever. Um, that kind of becomes that area. And since this, this little community is essentially runs by this mine, even though it's called My Bloody Valentine, and they, they do try and fit in as much Valentine's Day stuff as possible, I, I have a strong suspicion that sometime during the writing process, that was sort of shoehorned in. To fit the Halloween, Christmas, Black Christmas, uh, Friday the 13th thing that was happening. Because it feels like more of the conceit of the movie, more of the gimmick, is this mining. Yeah, and, and honestly, there's really only a few scenes where Valentine's Day is even like specifically mentioned. And at, at first, you know, there's there's this like sheriff who's trying to track Harry down and he's getting these, you know, uh, chocolate boxes filled with uh, hearts that have been removed from people's bodies. Like that kind of goes away, uh, you know, near the the second half of the movie. And it it kind of has this whodunit quality to it, this sort of mystery element that kind of gets abandoned. uh, And, you know, sort of brought back up again at the end. Uh, And and that is one thing that, like, I 
wish they had maybe played into that a little bit more or developed that a little bit further because I think that was it kind of an interesting thing and maybe separates it a little bit more from, say, Halloween where we just know it's Michael Myers. Like, yeah. you know, the mystery element of it, I think, is always a fun thing to play with in, in these type of movies. Right, because the killer that we see throughout the movie, he's wearing – uh, uh, a miner's onesie and a gas mask and a, a hard hat with a big lantern on it. So it kind of creates this cool profile whenever you see him down these long corridors um, or whenever he pops up in the frame. It it's It's cool and menacing and different, but also functional. Yeah, and it makes more sense than, uh, say, the you know, Mike Myers or Jason hockey mask. Like he was a miner. He would have this gear, you know, he would have a giant pickaxe to impale teenagers with like, so it is, it's both functional story wise and it's just a cool design. Like he's a cool looking Mm -hmm. villain and it's, you know, a unique silhouette. Like it's, it's, and you know, there's some pretty cool, like menacing shots with him. And I think the look goes a long way. Yeah. I would say, you know, by and large, the movie's not that scary. Um, Even amongst its peers, that doesn't seem to be its driving focus. Um, In fact, there's lots of places in the movie, which could feel almost horror comedy. Like before that was really a term that was thrown around a lot. Um, but you know these teenagers are having a good time. They're they're unique characters. They all sort of have their own personalities, and we, there's lots of these like party scenes and stuff. And yeah, well that that was something that I, I think you know another thing that kind of gives this movie this sort of sense of identity is that you know this this was before slasher movies kind of just invented characters for punishment. You know, like Mm -hmm. later in the 90s and the early 2000s, you'd start to get like the teenagers that are just completely insufferable and and you're, you know, at at a certain point rooting for the killer and, and, you know, just sort of watching the body count add up. This is before that when they actually like care about the characters and, you know, they all feel like realistic young people like it it feels like a small town where the young college age kids are bored and they're just looking forward for this holiday weekend because it's different than the other weekends and uh that feels you know again like they want the audience to to care about them to to a degree yeah i mean it I think there is a handful of them, especially the earlier kills where we don't get to know them as well. Um, but certainly I think our final core group who survives to the last third of the movie, uh, when we're in, we have that long set piece in the mine. That's the only part of the movie that I think, or I was like, oh, this is actually uh, kind of scary because, you know, we get the POV shot and we also get as they're running away from this killer, they have no place to really go or mm-hmm. hide. There's, there's very s- small corridors. 
And, you know, throughout the film, because he's in uniform that everybody there who works in that town wears, whenever we see somebody, they are the killer or not until it's too late. Yeah, I I also think that, you know, something about that mine set piece at the end that is is pretty cool and helps build the suspense is it, you know, it's kind of this maze-like thing where... Uh, characters are running off and, you know, Mm -hmm. looking for other characters and you kind of never know who's going to come around the bend and they get pretty lost down there. And, and it's a pretty cool, um, I don't know, just conceit for a a slasher flick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For me, I thought the first third of it or so was a little slow to start, just kind of getting to know all these characters, kind of getting to understand the, the world building. Um, but I think, I think because it's such a small production and it's such a weird location and because it, obviously this director writer is kind of having fun with the genre. He's, he's not taking it terribly seriously, but he's also, you know, leaning into the tropes that it, uh, it, there's a lot of personality in this movie. Yeah, and I I think that, I don't know, to me it made it stand out a lot more than, uh, you know, a lot of sort of the other kind of knockoff slashers I've seen. This one I just, I had a lot more fun with. Um, Yeah. Where, again, like, I I keep comparing it to Friday the 13th because I think it shares a lot of its DNA with that. Um, And, again, especially some of the later Friday the 13th, as it as those start to get more generic and uh, just sort of ugly and mean. Um, well, I don't know. Actually, they don't, they get cheesier than anything else. Um, but I, I don't know. I think just having sort of this one movie instead of this giant franchise to look towards uh, it, it, it maybe ages a little bit better because of that. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually interesting given how many of these things were sequelized into the ground that this one really only had the one movie, then the remake in 2009. Yeah. And I have heard a lot of good things about the remake. I I know um, there are some people who, who claim that it's their favorite 3d movie going experience, even though it wasn't like, uh, you know, shot for 3d and, you know, have the, the whole James Cameron experience. It was, um, more sort of just throwing things at you through the screen. And I, I, yeah, I can see how that would be really fun to just, you know, like Harry pops out of the shadows and like a pickaxe gets thrown at the sc- at the camera. And so it looks like it's coming flying towards you or whatever. Like I can see how that would be a lot of fun. And the, the tone of this movie, I, I can see how it could translate to that sort of early 2000s 3D effect in a in a kind of cheesy but fun way. And I don't know how many of the characters uh, transfer from one movie to the other, I, or if it's just sort of the concept of Valentine's Day evil minor. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's enough. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, although I, I'd have to say, I think a lot of what makes this movie, this movie is the fact that it's 
this small budget weird Nova Scotian like proto horror comedy. <laughs> yeah, well well yeah, I mean I exactly like the slashers of this time period are such a dime a dozen that honestly just a little bit of personality goes a long way, I think. I mean, I, I think this is 81. Um, the original Friday the 13th was in 1980. Uh, Prom Night and Terror Train. And yeah. then all of the subsequent uh, Friday the 13th sequels that came out. But I think this, still at this point in 81, the, the genre hadn't been completely codified yet. Like, there has been a lot of, you know, the, the Italian stuff, the... Black Christmas and uh, Halloween and and you know stuff like Maniac and stuff kind of more from the exploitation world than than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of a few I think that are really kind of laying the foundations that the others would build on. I mean, yeah, I can believe it because it does kind of check every sort of slasher trope like i i even remember there's yeah. a point in the movie where they specifically mention that the the main female lead is a virgin and it's such a weird like it's such a weird detail especially like the way they point it out is very um i i don't know i i can see at the time maybe it didn't stick out as much because it you know probably wasn't as noticed of a cliche yet um, but right. viewing it now, it's like, wow, that is not subtle. <laughs> right. Well, and then we weren't, they weren't doing it to make a point of anything at the, at that time or, or poking fun at a, a well-worn trope. They were just kind of, yeah, pr- probably had something to do with the fact that it's Valentine's Day or whatever. And then it just became a thing in other movies. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, for the next episode, the streaming homework I'm going to have us do is the film uh, Poetic Justice, which was which came out in 1993, and we'll be watching it on Amazon Prime Video. Um, this is an early John Singleton film, and I wanted to do something for Black History Month without uh, going back to the well for another Spike Lee movie. So one of his contemporaries in the early nineties. Um, and also this is one of the few movies that starred, uh, Tupac Shakur before he died a few years later. Cool. Um, what's this streaming on again? Uh, Amazon prime. All right. And if anybody has anything to say about any of the things we talked about in this episode or previous, you can email us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at mcguffinpod on Instagram or Twitter. Leave us a five-star rating and a one-sentence review on Spotify or iTunes or Google Podcasts or whichever app you use. You can read my reviews that I write for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal Movie Reviews or Idaho State Journal Arts and Entertainment, and that'll take you to the archives. And you can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at BC Cassidy, 
and be sure to read the other reviews, lists, and articles by the rest of the MacGuffin staff at MacGuff.in. You can follow me on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, you can also uh, follow my improv show, uh, Improv vs. Stand-Up, at Improv vs. Stand-Up. Um, and we do uh, live improv shows every uh, Saturday night at Mockingbird Improv in San Diego. And be sure to follow uh, our friend Darren and his wife over at Skittish and Bus. That's skittish as in S-K-I-T-T-I-S-H-A-N-D-B-U-S at twitch.tv slash skittish and bus where they stream uh, music every Monday and Friday night. Uh, Darren was gracious enough to create some original uh, theme music for the podcast. I've been meaning to update it for a while and... He did a wonderful job with it, and they, uh, they're they both DJs and apparently Twitch streamers as well. Yeah, uh, very cool. I, I like the new intro. It sounds good. Thanks, Darren. And that is the episode. I like X to the Z. What can I say? <laughs>